Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Ben Kier, a regional leader in the Asia-Pacific region at GP Strategies. Ben, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being on the show. Great to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, mate. So our topic for this episode is how to design engaging hybrid learning experiences, which to me implies that learning programs or modules are typically not engaging, not naturally engaging, that the engagement doesn't just kind of magically happen. And then instead, you have to actually design hybrid learning with mm. from the start with the goal of active of actively engaging learners. So that might seem obvious, but maybe for some listeners, mm. it's not so obvious. So why is that? Well, it's an interesting premise to start with, Jeremy. Um, let's start by kind of getting a common definition of what I'm referring to in this podcast. So I don't get any kind of angry messages from someone disagreeing, you know, what, what, what we're talking about or what I'm talking about with hybrid learning I'm not talking about a classroom training with an online portal at the end or an e-learning followed by a virtual session. I'm really talking about a modern learning experience, which typically has a few characteristics. You know, Number one, they're spaced and somewhat continuous. They might extend over a number of weeks or months or forever. Um, they might include, they should include a blend of modalities. A, a, this is hence the word hybrid. And, and the hybrid modalities are truly blended. You know, a good, a good metaphor I like to use is a lot of people think of blended learning and especially learners and they think of a salad where you can see all the different pieces. And, you know, I might not like the olives, but I'm going to eat the tomatoes. And there's like a bit of a pick and choose, you know, like a, we have a lot of my customers and a lot of my experience in the last 20 years in Asia has been learners choose not to do the pre-work, but they do come to the classroom part, you know? Mm. So they have this kind of pick and choose blend, but really the better image to have in your mind with hybrid learning is like a smoothie. It's all one thing, right? Whether it's I'm watching a video on a Tuesday, I'm attending a virtual session on a Friday, I'm reading an article, I'm participating in some sort of a social forum. It's one singular experience. So that's what we talk about when we talk about hybrid learning. And there's one other characteristic that I want to stress that is different from, uh, I would say, like company-led learning, which is modern hybrid learning is learner-driven. In a classroom, you have a facilitator who is kind of guiding you through it. You have an LMS system saying, be here at this time and this day and mm -hmm. we'll lock the door when you're in. And then it's the facilitator's job to engage you. And we hope that there's magic that happens when you go back to work. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about where I'm continuously learning and responsibility. The onus is on me as a learner to participate. And to be frank, it's an important topic because, you know, the world is changing. You know, we need to reskill the entire workforce and, and, and traditionally learning budgets, budgets have been allocated to, um, especially around soft skills like leadership development to our top talent or to our senior leaders or to the few rather than the many, you know? And so it's a really important topic of how we can deploy hybrid learning to reach the masses without reducing effectiveness. And so a central piece to that is engagement. A long walk there and I'm back to engagement. I promised mm -hmm. you I'd get back there. When we talk about engagement, because it's self-led, because it's spaced over time, 
it is not inherently engaging. And, and the metaphor I'd like to use is this, and maybe, Jeremy, I can engage you in a little bit of a, a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Sure. You're going to play along with me here. I'll play along. So imagine you're at home, it's the evening, and you've decided for whatever reason that you want to make a baked chocolate cheesecake. Mm. Right? You don't okay. know how to do that, but you want to make one. What do you do? Okay. How do you do that when you're at home? What would you do if you're at home? Wow. Well... I mean, I'm lactose intolerant, I must admit. So that, so I'd probably first take some lactose. Well, that's lactase, important. But... Let's throw that in there. It's a unique characteristic. Okay. But where so would you I... go to find that information? Well, I would, I would uh, go to YouTube. I would go to Google. I'd Google it and maybe YouTube it. You know, how to make right. this kind of cake. And that's and fascinating. I love that you added in that extra layer in there, which is how do I make a baked chocolate cheesecake for someone who is lactose intolerant? You've got that extra layer of complexity that's yeah. unique to you. And and so you would go on, as we all would, we'd go on Google or we'd go on YouTube and then we'd see results. So imagine these results have come up. Two of the results are just a chocolate cheesecake, not a baked chocolate cheesecake. Are mm. we going to look at those results? Probably not because I want a baked chocolate cheesecake. Right. Right. And then you've got three more results and all of them are a baked chocolate cheesecake, but only one of them is a lactose intolerant kind of baked chocolate cheesecake. You know, so you're going to go to the one and you're going to ignore everything else that that you're seeing, right? And then when you go into that, there might be a couple of different videos you can watch. One of them is a two-hour video and one of them is six 90-second videos. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to go to, Jeremy? Which one lends itself most to your learning style? It's got to be the six 90-second videos, right? I, mean, I, I don't have right. two hours to learn how to... I'm just... If, it, if the only option is two hours, I'm just not going to make the cake. You, you've got it, right? And so what we've just done there and what all of us do every day is we demonstrate modern learning behavior, which is that in order for something to be engaging, it's not just about gamification. It's not mm-hmm. just about making the video look amazing or using an animation, they are relevant. And we'll talk about that in a second. The first layer of engagement is relevance hmm. and alignment, right? So your version of a, of a baked chocolate cheesecake for lactose intolerant is my version of a, I want to learn how to do coaching. But this is just a video that I found maybe on LinkedIn learning on coaching generally. But where is my version of my, I need a lactose intolerant baked chocolate cheesecake. I need something very specific. I need coaching in this context, virtually, mm-hmm. in, across cultures, because I'm working in Asia. You know, I need it where it's done in 15 minutes rather than one hour. I don't use the grow model. I use a different model. So really, in the first way to drive engagement is relevance. And the reality is, Jeremy, that just because you've put a program together doesn't mean that you've achieved relevance. And so this is why design is more important than delivery when it comes to hybrid learning. Because if we don't build it in with a ruthless layer of relevance and understanding what people are looking for, then straight away, before you even mm. get to gamification and those other tools, you've lost. Uh, you have to do a lot of work then to make that engaging. You have to then all of a sudden start to push people through it. Come on, go and mm. click on it. Go and watch it. And people are like, I don't really want to. It's not really what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And so you land in this position. And so, yeah, they're not inherently engaging unless you design it. And I think it also suggests that if the main criteria of engagement is relevance, then in order to know what is going to be relevant, you have to start with the end user, namely with the learner, and really start there and ask yourself, Mm -hmm. what is going to be relevant 
to the people who I want to engage with this piece of material. Yeah, it's a good kind of segue into a concept of around like assumptions. I work with a lot of organizations, right? And a a lot of different levels of learning maturity in those organizations. But I think a consistent challenge or I'd say a gap in thinking that I come across um, and even though a lot of companies would say, no, we get it, we get it, but then I don't necessarily see it reflected in the decisions. If I put content in the center or I put technology in the center of my decisions, there's an assumption that if I get the right tool, everyone's searching for like, if I could use a Lord of the Ring reference, the, the one ring to rule them all, one magic platform and one magic piece of content from an amazing provider. I want to get the Harvard you know, business school bit, and I'm going to put that together in the one ring to rule them all, and everyone's going to love it. That is, that's an incorrect assumption. Really, what's at the center is the learner. And that comes before I even decide on what content I want to teach. Because when you put the learner in the center, let's use, go back to our chocolate cheesecake example. I could go out and design a whole training and throw hundreds of thousands of dollars at it and then i launch it and it turns out 30 percent of my audience don't eat baked, baked chocolate cheesecakes because they're lactose intolerant <laughs> if i had have discovered that at first that not only would have changed my design potentially but it would have changed the content that i was initially intending to roll out totally makes sense and i mean let's not forget in the lord of the rings the one ring to rule them all had to be destroyed at the end it was sort of an evil ring that destroyed anyone who touched it <laughs> yeah i've always often wondered if i'd passed the test of, of if i could give up the ring but um just letting a bit of my geekdom out there but um you know it is true you know i think that there is almost a poison chalice dimension to looking for this one technology and I th- i'd say it's some in some respects it's part of the technology providers marketing it's there's a fault there in the marketing because i i mm. We help, GP Strategies helps clients vet the market. You know, often clients will come to us and say, can you run an an RFP for us? Can you run some sort of a project to go and find us this learning solution, please? Go out to market and and assess it. And a lot of technology companies, and there's a, a lot of amazing ones out there, but they'll tell you they can do almost everything. Yeah, but the reality is whether it's an LMS or an L- a learning a learning experience platform or whatever the technology may be, they're usually very strong at the core then kind of slightly good to the left and right of that and then get less good at something pretty dramatically quickly as you move outside those core features or that core use use case. You know, what ends up happening is is a lot of businesses, both for the desire of simplicity, for budget, but also because what, what they're being told, they're looking for this one solution. And, and in mm-hmm. reality, the future of, of learning is really more like your mobile phone. I've got an app for banking and I go to that for banking. I've got an app for tracking my weight and fitness, I go to that. I don't go to that weight and fitness app for my banking, you know? Um, so you have apps for different things. So it's really the appification of learning that I think is something that it would be great if organizations got their head around that I'm going to be turning on and off tool sets mm-hmm. in my ecosystem to meet certain needs, all right? These senior leaders need this. They need something very specific. These guys need something else. I need to hit 10,000 learners. That's a different thing, you know? So I think that's probably mm-hmm. where it's going. If, if learners, if, if companies can get their head around that, they'll make better technology decisions. Um, but at the same time, I want to stress here that technology is not at the center. It's your learners. And then secondarily to that, also your business. Mm-hmm. What is the culture today? What is the culture we want tomorrow? What are the goals? Those two things together then drive technology and content decisions. And you're going to be more likely to end up with an engaging experience if you do it in that order. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, a phrase you used earlier was that this is this is the kind of learning that's learner driven, right? Meaning that it's not learners sort of passively waiting to be told what to learn, where to learn, how to learn, but rather as they need the learning to present them with options to say, okay, here's a slate of tools that you can use mm. to search for what you need to learn when you need it. In And then the content has to align with their needs and their styles of learning and so on. So, I mean, given that this, what we're talking about is really learner-centric, right? The learner driving everything. Learner-centricity, yep. Yeah. What are the best ways that an organization can go about getting to know their learners so that they really understand their needs and can use that information to drive the design? How do you do that? Look, I hate to say this answer because it's it's perceived as a buzzword and I've even had some of our customers kind of roll their eyes at me, but it's design thinking. You know, there's an art to being good at the, uh, just in case any, any listeners aren't really clear on the layers of design thinking, it starts with empathize, define, you know, ideate, prototype, test. You move through this process. It's an agile process. It's not linear. I might jump backwards and forwards um, depending on different inputs and outputs from the different stages. But in that empathy phase, what we use it for as a design tool is we build out learner personas. So I've recently um, moved through a learner personification process where we were trying to address a population of 4,000 learners, individual contributors. At, a, at an engineering company. We were able to distill that down to six learner personas, right? And so these learner personas should kind of represent the the points of a compass for that population, like the most extreme mm-hmm. versions of each, that group, right? Like maybe a more senior person who's very settled, isn't very ambitious, and someone not looking to get their next promotion, very happy where they are. Maybe it's the inverse of that is someone who's, you know, hungry and very ambitious and really driven for that. And and so what you want to understand here isn't just their training needs analysis, because to be frank, you know, I, I love this story and I don't know if it's a real story, but you know, Henry Ford apparently was quoted saying, if I asked people what they wanted before I released the car, they'd say, I want a faster horse, you know? <laughs> right. And I love that quote because you don't necessarily know the learning that you need, especially if we're talking about future of learning and dealing with disruptions, which haven't come yet, you know? So, um, so you understand those learners' needs, of course, but what's their environment like? What access do they have to, to, to technology? What, what are their schedules like? What do they think and feel when you say digital learning? Some people have a, a, a revulsion. They feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. about it because their previous experience with, with, with digital were mandatory 30, 45-minute really dry e-learnings, you know? And so you've got to understand those dynamics and then that feeds into your design process and you make decisions, not just about the content, but also about how much time, how many minutes should each interaction be? How much can I expect them to achieve in a week of learning or in a month of learning? How do we engage them? You know, all of those different questions come through. So I'd really suggest that empathy process, but not just empathizing with the learner, empathize with the business because change management is another layer to consider when considering engagement. What if the current culture, as I just alluded to, of a business learning culture is traditional top down. We're waiting to be told most of the learning we receive is mandatory. What the company wants us to do. And all of a sudden you're pivoting to this whole new approach to learning. And it's, it's, it's 
it's for you, it's an investment in you, it's to help you reskill and be ready for the future, there's going to be resistance there. So you've got to build that change management into your marketing communication, into even the pro the way you launch the program and the modules themselves. The design thinking process is, is effective because it gets you that learner insight at the right at the start. Yeah, absolutely. So what's at stake here? You know, what's at risk when you don't put the learner at the center of your design and your design mm. thinking? Well, I think what's at stake, I mean, there's a lot at stake, right? And there's some very nuanced responses to this, but it comes back to the, the, what I would say are the three biggest fears that organizations have um, about deploying modern learning in their organizations. And that is wasted investments. We've gone and we've bought this technology or we've done this thing. And I speak to a lot of organizations who've invested in LinkedIn learning, for example. Their utilization has been in 10 or 15 or 18%. And the reason why is not because LinkedIn learning isn't great. It is amazing. It's got so much knowledge in there, but it's not real. It's not the baked chocolate cheesecake for the lactose intolerant. So you need to build in layers around LinkedIn learning to get the most of it, you know? So, so we buy something and it doesn't work. And then we assume that all oh, blended learning and hybrid learning is not mm. going to work. And so wasted investments that no one turns up. There's this paranoia or fear that is also the consequence if we don't do it right, that I build it and they don't come like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come, right? It's the yeah. inverse of that. They're worried that I build it and I try to build a social learning and no one's in the discussion forums and no one's mm -hmm. participating and the, the platform's empty. And, you know, the last one is probably around just the professional reputation and risk that learning organizations and individuals in those teams take on when they're doing something new. It's a risk. So that's both the consequences if you don't do it right, if you don't make it relevant, if you don't create connections, if you don't make them social, if you don't consider these fundamental design principles, then those fears could be realized. And mm -hmm. that, that's probably the consequence. And then the, the, the more nuanced answer for the business is you may burn some bridges. You know, you might get some, mm. it may be much harder to then relaunch again that another approach if you don't get it right those first few times because you're influencing learners' mindset. Right. So the next time you'll just face this wall of skepticism, like that was a waste and, of time. Yeah. And you can I, overcome it, but you're going to have mm -hmm. a harder task than you did if you, if you really focused on doing it right the first time. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the mirror image question is when you do get it right, what do you stand to gain? Mm. Well, I, I think the advantages are huge. Another interesting dynamic that I see, which is, it, it's, it's actually an advantage is, a lot of people somehow think, especially when it comes to professional development and leadership development, more soft skills, which are the future of work, right? Technical skills, some of them are dropping away through automation and an increase in higher cognitive skills and social skills are the, mm -hmm. the new going to be the new focus. That's what the data suggests, you know. According to McKinsey, which is which, which and and a bunch of other research, which is pointing to this increase in social skills and and higher cognitive skills, there's this fear that oh. If we do digital, it's like a, a sacrifice. Mm. The real way we've got to do it is when COVID ends, we're going back. We're going back to putting everything into a classroom. There's this impression that you need that trainer in the room, but it's actually scientifically against learning sciences. So if you, there's a cognitive load theory is all about the human mind can only take on so much at any given time. And so mm -hmm. when you put people in a classroom, you give them two days of learning or you put people through three hours of e-learning or you try to take a virtual classroom training and cram it into eight hours of virtual there's a point at which learners can only take on so much the advantages of hybrid learning if you design it well 
is that the learning retention and the far transfer, the transfer of knowledge into other areas and the application of knowledge onto the job is much, much greater because you're spacing it over the time. Over time, Learners have the ability to consume something, a small bit of something. And if you've built it right, there's a powerful why behind it. They're motivated by it. It's ruthlessly relevant to them. Then you're giving them time to actually go and take that back to the job, to take that action before you flood them with something else, you know? So by spacing your learning out and making it learner-centric, by, by making it about them, giving them a powerful why I should care about this, and then layering in those other pieces of gamification and, and those other elements that drive the pool of engagement, you're going to get better retention. You're going to get better learning outcomes and probably more measurable because you've got technology there, which is tracking competence across the whole stream. So, so I'd say one of the number one benefits of well-designed hybrid learning is that you get retention and transfer more than you get with traditional approaches to learning. The other benefit is, of course, the measurability of it, generally because it might involve some form of technology. And finally, that it can reach more people. Coming back to that global workforce reskilling challenge, I can now roll out, and we do, we roll this out for some banks in Asia. Globally, GP rolls it out for all sorts of organizations, but we roll out experiences in highly complex leadership topics authentic leadership how do you coach like really skills-based stuff or cerebral stuff and we're reaching 10,000 leaders effectively mm. and getting ridiculously good results in terms of transfer and feedback and stories of success if i want to reskill my workforce and move the whole needle of the middle of the bell curve rather than just focusing on the top five percent or bottom five percent mm. i can really move my whole organization forward and be ready have an agile learning culture ready for the future so lots of benefits, Jeremy. Yeah, so organizations really stand to gain a lot. And ultimately, of course, an upskilled workforce, a more engaged workforce is going to make you more competitive and, and help you grow your business. Absolutely. And if I could challenge anyone listening to this who's maybe asking themselves a question and relating this to their own experiences as an L&D partner or de deploying this type of stuff in their business, Look back, think back to learning experiences that haven't quite worked, whether it was a Skillsoft or a LinkedIn learning type implementation or, or that, that you, whatever it was that didn't quite work and ask yourself, was it ruthlessly relevant? Was it lactose intolerant baked chocolate cheesecake level of relevance? Or was it just a cheesecake and hope that everybody likes it? Was I able to create connections to each other? Was it social? But connections to the content, did the content connect to me? Was there a powerful why I should care about this? Did it speak to me? Did I respect people's time? Was I aware of how much time that learners really have to consume this stuff? Did I generate pool? And here we come to engagement. Like my, my relevance, my respecting time, my social connections, they will all create pool. But then also, did I think about gamification? Did I put people in groups and do group scoring? So there's a team competition dimension, you know? Did I put in lots of different layers that will pull people back in? If you can honestly answer all four of those and say yes to all of those, then give me a call because I'd want to know that case study. Because so far, I've never come across a situation where someone wasn't able to answer these and say at least one of these was missing. Usually it's the relevance layer, but some often it's also respecting time mm. is the missing layer. But if you do all four of those things well and you collect data and, and in an agile way, adjust, adjust and adapt your experience based on the learner data because you've got to get it right. It's agile. We're prototyping and getting better and better. Then you will have a good experience. you know. And so that's what I would say to people.
Excellent. Well, that's a great takeaway for our listeners and I think a perfect place to wrap up. So Ben, thanks so much for your time and uh, for a really great conversation. No worries, Jeremy. Thanks for your time. Have a good one, mate. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.